Facebook this week, someone said, now when I stand up, are my knees supposed to sound like a goat chewing on an aluminum can filled with celery? <laughs> I watched the responses to that closely because I wanted to know, I, you know, could relate. But when you tell someone, you'll say, man, don't get old. You ever tell somebody that? You'll say, well, just take my word for it. Don't get old. And the common response to that is, beats the alternative. That's right. People say, well, beats the alternative. Actually, in God's timing, the alternative isn't so bad, really. It's really not a true expression to say, beats the alternative, because the fact is that life in heaven with Jesus will mean indescribable joy. And for the believer, for the Christian, uh, we, we sign up for this faith, this true faith, in which we believe that heaven is as real as all of Indiana's neighboring states. We believe that, it, that heaven is a, as real as what we would believe if we were to go through a travel agent and, and schedule an international trip, perhaps to Paris, France, or Venice, Italy, or someplace wonderful like that. We believe those places are real. Even if you've never been before, you believe they're real. You've seen the places on national television. You've watched the documentaries. You learned about it in, in, in school, in history or geography class. And you believe that these places exist, even if you've never been there. Do you, as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, as a student of the Word of God, do you believe as wholeheartedly in the reality of a place called heaven? in a place called hell. Are those places real? Because when your worldview of the world, when you, you view the world through that lens, when you believe that heaven is real and that the God who lives there is real, the way you live your life is affected by that conviction, by that, by that belief system, by that, by that truth. It affects everything that we do, it affects the way that we think, it affects the way that we live our lives. The more we live with heaven and eternity as our goal, the more we begin to, joy, to enjoy the limited time that we have here on earth. That almost sounds like an oxymoron, a little bit, a paradoxical, if you will. How could focusing on the next life, the eternal life, a place where I'm, I don't live now and, and have no desire or intention to go anytime soon, I'm clinging to this life with all that I have here on earth, how can that perspective actually cause me to enjoy the limited time I have here on earth more? The more we do things God's way, the more of our own desires and dreams we end up fulfilling. When we stop worrying about self, when we start doing things that will make us feel good after we do them, when we stop thinking of our own agenda and our own goals so much, when we begin to live our life the way God would live it through us, the irony of it is those things that people in the world chase after, trying to please themselves as if they were their own gods, those things, they end up, the people that focus on the one true God and pleasing Him, end up enjoying all those things all the more, it seems. And the more we serve others and think of others first, the happier we end up being ourselves. But it takes someone with that kind of a Christian worldview to be, into, to be able to get in on that kind of true faith and to begin to reap those rewards. The bottom line of today's message is this. A biblical worldview maximizes your time 
on earth. You want to get the most out of this life? You only live once. You want to live life to the fullest? Then don't focus so much on this life. Focus on eternal life. Don't focus on yourself. Focus on God. Don't focus on your own needs and wants. Focus on those of others. And the other things tend to come along. When Solomon prayed to God, he prayed for wisdom. And God said, you could have asked me to wipe out all of your enemies. You could have asked me for unspeakable wealth. You could have asked me for this, 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 that, and the other. But because you asked me for wisdom, I'm going to give you wisdom, my wisdom. But I'm going to give you all these other things too because you asked for the right thing. What are we asking God for? Are we, are we asking God to help us please him more, to live in according, accordance with his, his word? Because if we live here like we believe in there, here and there, if we, then we're going to enjoy the here more while we wait for the there. Um, it's the opposite of what we think. It takes looking past the present and having faith beyond what we can see with our physical eyes and hear with our physical ears in the here and now. Earthly wealth and pleasure, is not, they are not necessarily bad things. In fact, they're very, very, very good. And if you don't want the good things in this life, if you have a certain disdain for money, something's wrong with you. <laughs> If you don't want to have a nice, reliable home, something's not right. If you don't want to have food on, on the table for you and for your family, something's not right a, a, about that. We shouldn't feel guilty for earning and enjoying those things. The treasure principle that we've been focusing on in this series is simply that such things are temporary. Oh, some of them are bad. Some of them will give you pleasure for a season, but in the end they lead to death. Some temporary pleasure is outright wrong and sinful and, and an abomination to God. And those things must be avoided by someone with a Christian biblical worldview. But not all. All good and enjoyable things are bad. But they are all temporary. <laughs> They're all temporary. And none of them can fill the place of God in our hearts you cannot serve God and money, both. Matthew 6, 19 through 21 says this, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Last week, we talked about how interest follows investment. You know, if you have an app on your phone and you follow some stocks that you don't own, some companies that for which you own no stock, and that stock goes up and you can't really go, Woo, that's great, man, did you see how much this went up? And people will be like, really, do you have stock in the company? No, I just follow them. <laughs> uh. There's no interest that goes with that kind of investment. 
And we can be pretty fired up and should be and pretty excited about the great things that we read in God's word about heaven and about God and about living in his kingdom if we are making investments in his kingdom. If we are experiencing kingdom living, then there is an interest level that just continues to well up in our, our hearts because Jesus said in Matthew 6 verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It follows it. It takes true faith. To believe in the treasure principle. The writer of Hebrews doesn't so much define true faith as he describes it through the faith of biblical characters. If you have your Bibles with me or you want to follow on your smartphone or device or follow along on the screen. We'll be in Hebrews chapter 11. Very, very well known uh, chapter in the Bible. Uh, where the Hebrew writer gives us all kinds of examples of people who lived their lives in a way that pleased God. Verses 1 and 2 says this. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed by at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Ex nihilo is the Latin the expression that out of nothing, God made everything. God had no need to go you know, to the earth's supply store and pick up materials to make the earth or anything on the earth. He spoke it into existence, and it was. He made everything out of things that are, that are invisible. As we look around this room this morning, we see all kinds of wonderful inventions that mankind has discovered and engineered and developed and sold and we've purchased and we're enjoying them now. And we feel like our own creators a little bit sometimes because of all of that ingenuity. But the fact of the matter is we could not have made it without the supplies. God needed no supplies. One Christian said, I believe in the Big Bang Theory. God spoke it and bang, it appeared. Faith gives us a confident hope. Did you see that in Hebrews 11.1? 1? Faith is confidence in what we hope for. Confidence in what we hope for. How confident is your hope today? How sure are you that heaven is real and that God presides there and that one day, because of Jesus, you'll be there too? How sure are you of that? And some of you might be saying to yourself, well, I'm, I'm pretty sure, you know. Oh, I am, Sean. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. That's great. But do your actions demonstrate that kind of assurance? If you believe in the reality of heaven, like you believe in the reality of Illinois, Ohio, Kentucky and, 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 and Missouri, Michigan. My wife's mumbling to herself right now, Charlestown High School. <laughs> Canada. <laughs> if you believe in the reality of heaven, like you believe in the reality of these places that we can see and touch and taste and smell... If you believe in the reality of God to that extent, you know what you have yourself right there is a confident hope, an assurance, an assurance about what we do not see. The Wycliffe Bible Commentary says, faith is trust in the unseen. It is not trust in the unknown. 
It's trust in the unseen, but not in the, the unknown. Our faith is not wishful thinking and hope so kind of things. It's not fables passed down from generation to generation. It is based on eyewitness accounts and their willingness to die for what they, what they saw and what they claimed. It's based on biblical archaeology. It's based on historical secular media of the time, reporting on the same things that could not be explained away. Faith is not intellectual suicide, but it is the assurance of things not seen. The Hebrews writer reminds us that the things for which the ancient heroes were commended were the examples of how they lived out their faith. And the first four examples are of men who put their faith into action. It was more than just a warm, fuzzy feelings in their hearts kind of faith. They lived their faith. They put it into practice, and many, many years, centuries later, they are written about by the Hebrew writer that reminds us of of the heroes of the ancient world and how they were commended for their faith. What will they say about you when your years are done? Will your children say, "My, my father had a strong faith? Will they say, you... My grandmother, she had the strongest faith and she was in the word of God and she believed in in the reality of heaven. And though she lived every day she could here on earth, she was homesick for her real home. You have a grandma like that? You have an aunt or an uncle? You have a neighbor? have a growth group teacher? An elder in your church who has a, a blessed assurance you want to get in on. Here are four examples that the Hebrew writer gives us. Number one is a a guy by the name of Abel, one of the first sons born on the earth, Abel. You impact others beyond your years. Uh, Listen to what Hebrews 11.4 says, by faith Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith he was commended as righteous. When God spoke well of his offerings, And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. (laughs) Talk about your legacy. And the older you get, young people listen to me, the older you get, the more you're going to realize, ooh, life really does go by fast. And the longer you're here, the faster time seems uh, to go. And you begin to ask yourselves, what am I accomplishing that will still be here past my years on the earth? We want something bigger than us that'll still be around, that'll speak to the next generation. This week I asked a question on Facebook, you know, how many of you can remember a loved one and something that that loved one used to say so much so that you can vividly almost hear it in your your mind, hear it in their voice saying it. And it was so heartwarming to read all of the responses that, that people had. Abel acted on his faith. His act of faith was his offering. Cain and Abel were brothers, and they brought their offerings to the Lord. Cain brought kind of the the routine offering, kind of the traditional kind of thing. He really didn't put his heart into it. He just brought some, some fruits and vegetables and offered those up to the Lord. But Abel brought a blood sacrifice to the Lord. And it was the kind of offering that initiated a person's life of faith. The, the faith life becomes a life only by the atonement made. And Abel was bringing to God an atoning, substitutionary kind of, of gift. The book of Hebrews says that without the shedding of blood, you could say that there's no forgiveness of sins. 
And Abel had a faith. He could see beyond his years. He had a confident hope, an assurance of things he could not see in yet. And he was commended by it. And God valued it. And God made a big deal out of it. Cain killed Abel because of his jealousy. You bring a better, better offering than me, do you? God says to Cain, where's your brother? Cain says, what am I, my brother's keeper? The second person mentioned is Enoch. Enoch, you are rewarded with hopeful living. Hebrews 11 verses 5 through 6 says that by faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Enoch's act of faith was that he walked with God. So much so that when it came time to bring him into heaven, that God did not even allow him to experience the physical death, but just took him body, soul, and all, and just took him straight to heaven. People said, where'd he go? Have you seen Enoch? No, I haven't seen him. Silver alert. Enoch, man who walks with God, missing, hasn't been seen in some time. You know, for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, who have been born again into him, we don't have to fear death. Someone has said that for the Christian, death is like passing from life into life. Isn't that cool? I've heard people say that, you know, you, you take your last breath here on earth, followed by your first breath in heaven. Uh, we think of, of death as saying goodbye to someone but with the reality of heaven, everybody who's gone before, who, who were followers of Christ, who were born again into him, for them, the, the, the passing of, of a person here on earth, a person of faith, a person who believes in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, when they're passing away, and we're saying, there he goes. In heaven, they're saying, here he comes. Do you see him? Grandpa's here, and everybody's all excited. There's this great reunion when we all get to heaven. What a day of rejoicing that will that will be <laughs> that's hopeful living when when you believe in the reality of heaven when that's your worldview while you're here on earth you maximize your time here on earth because because you have such a great hope you're not counting down the days you're not fretting about it you're not worrying about every gray hair and the crow's feet that start to appear beside your eyes and the wrinkles that won't go away and even though we try to look our best we know there's only so much that we can slow down the aging process but the good thing is that after our fruitful labor here on earth is done we get to go to heaven and live forever with God praise God amen you are rewarded with hopeful living, and it's not the type of thing, if you give your life to Christ at the age of nine, and you live to be 99, that for 90 years, it's on hold. <laughs> no! No, it starts now. You get to enjoy abundant life now. You get to walk in his kingdom and follow Jesus and have hopeful living right here and right now, and that is a fantastic thing. It's here and it's there. It's here and there kind of faith. The third guy mentioned is Noah. Noah, when you have a Christian worldview, a biblical worldview, your family escapes the heartbreak of sin. 
Hebrews 11.7 says that by faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. Noah's act of faith required time and serving and resources. 120 years. It's quite a construction project. <laughs> Can you imagine being out in the desert, it's never rained, and you start building a wooden box? We think of it as a boat, and, all, and the fact of the matter is, it was a, ark means box, chest. It was a, 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 a box, a floating zoo. It wasn't designed to sail and to travel. It was, just, it was just designed to kind of rise up on the water and to sustain life. Mankind had become so sinful that it grieved God that he had even made man on the face of the earth. And God decided like a dry erase board, he was just going to erase life and get a fresh clean start. It was too marked up, too messed up, needed to start over. But there was someone who had lived a righteous life, who was not living an earthly life, but was living a heavenly life while on earth. And that man was Noah, and Noah could see heaven and the reality of it. He had a confident hope, he had a blessed assurance of things he could not yet see. And God said, it is going to flood the earth and I'm going to wipe out all mankind and you better get started building that boat. And for 120 years, hammer, 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 ridicule, ribbing, ridicule. Growth group this morning, we were talking a little bit and I said, you know, I think about his sons. How'd you like to have been Noah's sons during all of this? How's your dad, the nutcase, doing? He's still working on that big floating box. <laughs> but I'll tell you what. When the day came and the earth flooded, after, by the way, they'd been in the ark for seven days and there was no rain. Can you imagine about day four or five or six? You say it's going to rain? <laughs> oh, it's going to be a flood. <laughs> Most scholars believe the water gushed up like a geyser out of from underneath the crust of the earth and went high up into the air and then just came crashing down like it would if you held a uh, powerful fire hose up and sprayed up into the into the heavens what does that water do it just comes crashing down and floods everything i'll tell you what and i don't want to be too vivid with this but when when the waters began to rise and people began to clamor to the highest areas to escape drowning, as did the lions that were eating them, you know. And as, as people began to claw and scratch at the side of that wooden ark, knowing they had waited too late and thus sealed their fate, as they were waiting and, and screaming and crying out for help, that Noah's sons didn't feel like dear old dad was all that silly. Your children parents, listen to me, your children may give you some pushback over silly things like curfews, <laughs> not wanting them to drink alcohol and get behind the wheel of the car. My friends do it. <laughs> How come you can't be more like so-and-so's dad or so-and-so's mom? They let them watch whatever they want. Well, I'm not so-and-so's mom, am I? <laughs> I'm your mom. And our rules are shaped by a biblical worldview. And in this house, as for me and my house, 
We're going to live in accordance with what God says. And you know what? They're going to escape a whole lot of sin and the consequences thereof. Oh, the children of godly people who teach them their whole lives about God still have children who rebel. It's been happening since the beginning of time, and it happens to all of us. But when you choose to teach them what's right, and you know you have, and you teach, you choose to live your life in accordance with God's word, you're going to spare them a whole lot of grief. There is something called you know, generational sin that's really puzzling for, for me to fully wrap my brain around. We even see it in the Bible, where sin repeats itself generation after generation after generation. You ask someone, you know, why do you abuse your kids? Well, my dad abused me and my grandfather abused my dad. That makes no sense to me. <laughs> Did you like it? <laughs> then why are you doing it? Somebody will say, you know, they'll blame their alcoholism on their father because he was a drunk and his father before him. And I'm like, Did you like that? Well, then why are you doing it? Sin has a way of lying to us and telling us you're missing out on life. Life's passing you by. You only live once. You ought to live for what's going to make you happy in the here and the now. One final person, Abraham, and, and Sarah gets a mention here as well, and rightfully so. Abraham, your life is built on purpose and meaning. Hebrews 11, verses 18 through 12 says, By faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as an inheritance, obeyed and went. And even though he did not know where he was going, by faith he made his home in the promised land like a, a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, and as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the, of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear a child because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he is as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. Abraham's act of faith was that he gave up everything to follow God. What does it cost you to follow God? It costs you everything. In one sense, it costs you nothing because grace is free. It's unmerited. You don't earn or deserve it. But you have to fully surrender and say, I give all of my life to God because he doesn't want 99.9%. .9 he wants all of your life. And I will guarantee you this, that if you will give him all of your life and you have to be sincere and you have to mean it, you're going to look back and find out you got a lot more life than what you would have had if you hadn't have done that. Because a person with a Christian worldview maximizes their life here on earth because they've bought into something called the treasure principle. That there is a treasure that's far better than whatever cost you have to acquire the land, so to speak, that the treasure is buried in because that's where the real gold is. That's where the real value is. And I believe in a real heaven and a real hell. And I believe in a real God who sent his son to the earth to die for our sins. And because he shed his blood, 
a blood sacrifice for you and for me, we can get in on the hope, the assured hope of eternal life, of believing in things yet not seen. And we can have confident hope, confident hope that we believe in the reality of heaven like we believe in the reality of all those states that, that border Indiana. Do you believe in the reality of heaven to that extent that you'd give up everything you have, surrender it all, it ain't yours anyway, and give it back to God and say, it all belongs to you, use it for your kingdom, and help me shine for your glory. Pray with me. Father God, I thank you for your amazing love. I thank you, Lord, for Jesus, and I thank you, God, that he has called all of us, Lord, that he didn't just die for some, but he died for all of us, that, God, we could stand before you one day as if, our, as if we had never sinned, our sins washed white as snow, and appear to you in that way, and that, God, you'd welcome us into your, your beautiful heaven for all of eternity. And while we walk in your kingdom here as your subjects, God, we bow before your throne, and we say, take my life, I give it all to you. And, God, we praise you for that, and we thank you for the filling of your Holy Spirit and the way in which he enables us, God, God, to, to please you and, and to get something out of your word and to get a whole lot more out of this life than we would trying to cling to it. God, we pray all of this in the powerful name of Jesus, your son. Amen.